It used to be, I think, therefore I am. I feel most alive, most at peace, most fulfilled when I am thinking about whatever it is my emotions are. Today, it is I share, therefore I am. I feel most alive, most at peace, most fulfilled when I am sharing my thoughts. This is Equip and Engage, a podcast by Subsplash, exploring how ministry, technology, and innovation come together to equip churches around the world to engage their communities. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Equip and Engage. I'm your host, Carolyn Farney, and we've got another incredible interview lined up for you today. What you're about to hear is part one of my conversation with Subsplash's own Nick Bogardis, as well as Heather Thompson Day. Heather is a dynamic speaker, a communications professor at Andrews University, and the author of seven books, including It's Not Your Turn and Confessions of a Christian Wife. She also has an amazing faithful presence on social media where she shares regular encouragement and teaching geared toward college students and young women. But today she's bringing some incredibly valuable insights for pastors and church leaders who are concerned about how to reach the next generation. In part one, we'll ask Heather about habits that younger Christians have, which older generations may not be aware of. We'll also ask about what qualities we should celebrate in the next generation and where church leaders may need to lean in and show extra care and discipleship. If you're in ministry in any capacity, I know you'll benefit from this conversation. So let's get started. Here's Heather Thompson Day. Well, hi, Heather. Welcome to the podcast today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we, we're excited to have your voice on our podcast today. And uh, I was looking at your website and, you know, the mission statement on your website states that um, you serve college students and women unapologetically, which, I mean, as being a woman, I love. <laughs> um, but I, I'd love to learn and for our listeners too, what does that look like on a regular basis? Yeah, so uh, my mentor, probably four years ago, when when my ministry was growing a bit and I was getting more calls, I was saying, like, how do you decide which ones to take? And he said, you go where only you can go. And so that's where actually that came from was um, me just really focusing in on, okay, where are the gaps that I fell in in my life? And then how do I stand in those to help somebody else not go through what I went through. And, and so that's where I've ended up with college students and women. Oh, I love that. And just for you too, a lot of our listeners are, they're church leaders and they are trying to learn and adapt in just how do we make disciples in the local church? And, you know, our, one of our passions is really where that faith and technology cross and, even just with, I mean, your experience, I mean, you engage with Gen Z every day <laughs> and um, very frequently with younger generations on social media as well. And so what are some of the habits that younger Christians have that older Christians may not be aware of? Yeah, I think, well, I will say this too. I, I, everything I'm saying, we should all add a caveat of COVID because I really have seen a difference in my students 
this year, last year, as opposed to previous years. So I'm, I'm still trying yeah. to figure out where all things are going to land. Um, of course, I think one of their, the unique things about this generation is their unprecedented access. They have access to all people at all times, which I don't think we talk yeah. about enough. What does that look like to know the personal life of your aunt? Because I see it online. Or to know the personal life of your professor. I never had that, yeah. right? How much exactly. more likely does that make you to either start conversation or depending on what you see, not start conversation and just assume I know all there is to know based on your last post. I think that's a massive part of what it looks like to grow up in this generation is the unprecedented access that they have to everybody that they're in a relationship. I mean, you they Google you before they ever meet you, right? Like if I'm going to go on a Tinder yeah. date, I'll Google, I'll know everything about you before I ever met you. And that is relatively new, right? So what are some of the ramifications of that? Those are the things I like to talk about with them. What do you think are the ramifications of that? I'm really curious, Heather, what are those ramifications? I, I think that's why we see this generation, what do they say? This generation is super connected, but isolated. Yeah. I think that's one of the ramifications, right? Like if I see who I perceive to be you are based on what I see online, I may decide, I don't, well, then I'm not interested in having a relationship with you. But what if who I am online, this is a whole other conversation, is not even really who I am, right? Like that's an over-exaggerated characterization of who I wish I could be maybe. And if we were to sit down in person, we'd realize that we have so much more in common yeah. than we have different. Yeah. And I think a lot of them don't even experience that anymore. They, they, there's just such a chasm immediately, yeah. even in meeting, that I'm not even going to try to go further because I assume that I already know. Interesting. Is the other side of the coin like that who I am online is everything that I am? Like I need to, I don't know, that, that kind of self-expression thing that is limitless online. Like is that the other side of that coin? Yeah, I think, I mean, it just, it depends on everybody's personality. I absolutely have cousins that are younger than me that I see post online and I am like, that is absolutely not who you are. Yeah. It's not, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. if somebody was to sit next to you, they would be like, who is that person that I just saw posting? And, and so th there's a lot of research. I actually wait, I did my master's thesis on social networking way before, like, this is like right when Facebook, I think came out. And I remember back then reading that for a lot of introverts, they were seeing all this positive. It was increasing their self-esteem, actually, they were saying back then, to be online. Because all the things I wish I could say, I'm now able uh -huh. to say in person. But what happens when that, like you just said, like what happens when I'm saying that that's who I am? Uh -huh. But now I'm walking in a room and this isn't who I am. And now what? Yeah. How is that affecting me? Yeah. Well, you. Uh, so this is interesting because you saying their experience of being, um, you know, basically relentlessly connected to everyone around them, that they're going to come in and they're going to Google one another, they're going to Google their teacher, might be a um, kind of inherent dynamic that older generations may not be aware of uh, or attuned to. And I think it's helpful for you to point that out. Do you see that kind of like change in traditional, like relational, I don't know, hierarchies or um, uh, boundaries? Do you see that in other areas uh, in your, I don't know, classrooms or in academia that kind of is reflective of that? Yeah, I mean, I know, I know way more. <laughs> my boss actually isn't online, but I know way more about my colleagues than I ever did 
mm. five years ago. I, I had an experience a couple weeks ago where I was scrolling LinkedIn oh. and I saw something that one of my colleagues had, he actually served on my dissertation committee, that he had liked and I was like, oh, like it made me view him very differently seeing that he had clicked like on that thing. Mm -hmm. And it just reminded me, we don't like, it is actually a really bad idea, I think, to have all of this access to other people's likes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that that could be a dangerous thing. However, here's what I will say. Here's the upside. Yeah. We're always going to look for a positive. Right. I have probably never had as many students come to me and specifically say, I want you to mentor me. I want to have lunch with you. I want to have coffee with you. And that's, I've been teaching for over a decade. This has been in the last, I would say three years, I'm seeing a very different trend of them coming and saying, this is the type of relationship I wanna have with you. And I, I think that it has to do with the access of online. So it feels like there's a connection, even though for yeah. the other person, maybe it's the first time. So Heather, I, I hear you saying that they come to you and ask you to be their mentor, maybe because they see the way that you interact online, they build a trust um, based on that, that leads to an in-person uh, engagement. Is that a fair description? Yeah, that's what I, I think is happening. And it's just important though to, this, this is honestly a whole conversation, but yeah. there's, I teach communication, right? So there's yeah. actual stages to relational development. Yeah, And I think one of them, actually, I think this is really crucial. One of them is that stage six is dissolution meaning we separate both in my mind and in public, right? What is the ramification of a generation that dissolves no relationships? Because every ex-boyfriend or girlfriend yeah. or bad experience you've ever had is still your friend online. So I'm still always seeing what's uh -huh. happening with people that in the past, yeah, yeah. we're dissolved. Yeah. I don't know what happened to you unless I happen to bump into a mutual friend. What yeah. What is that doing to our brains? I, I just love looking at all yeah. this and saying, what do you think? Yeah, we that is really interesting. Like we don't learn to say goodbye yeah. and the story never resolves kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, and it is interesting. Even the parallel or the connection you made from here's a generation that has grown up with this and then, you know, you know, juxtaposed against a generation that didn't grow up with it, but is very much in it. Like I, you know, I didn't grow up with social media, but I'm very much in it now. And even thinking about our church leaders, if they're on the older, older side of it, maybe they're boomers, um, you know, wherever that may land, how does, how do, how do they relate on, on that front? Or maybe my question is, what are things that they should be aware of that, hey, this is different from someone that grew up with this kind of untethered access as opposed to, because I think in my mind, I just thought, oh yeah, we're all, like now we're all experiencing this. So we all come at this from the same point of view. And I hadn't even thought about, okay, what, what are some differences with someone that they've never known anything different? <laughs> Why should I fast from social media? Because, you know, I've, I've never known life without it. Yeah, I just think boundaries are something that we have to be really intentional about teaching because it's not necessarily understood, right? And I, it's something I think too is we, even for me, I was born in 87, right? When I was a child, I had a diary and it had a lock and it had a key and then I hid it. 
somewhere where nobody would ever find it. And today, your diary for, I mean, even in high school for me, like the diaries essentially became blogs that you posted online and the more hits, the better. Right. Yeah. What are the ramifications of that? What is the, what happens when this it used to be, I think, therefore I am. I feel most alive, most at peace, most fulfilled when I am thinking about whatever it is my emotions are. Today it is I share, therefore I am. I feel most alive, most at peace, most fulfilled when I am sharing my thoughts, right? So what does this look like for me as an educator? What does this look like for pastors in a church context where I only feel like I am a part if I am sharing. I have to change my classroom. I can't just lecture to you for 90 minutes anymore. <laughs> you, you're checked out, right? It changes the dynamic. Should we look at different models of doing church where people are not just preaching a sermon and then yep. we're going home? Yep. How do we start having that conversation? I think it's important. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, I'm not sure it's like such a revolutionary thought like it's like liturgical traditions have been call and response kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. like a back and forth dialogue they're not 60 minute sermons it's 20 minute sermons like it's like it it's it's much more engaging i think than than kind of more contemporary evangelical models of of worship and so it, for those who are listening who might be hearing what heather's saying and thinking like i don't even know where to begin and i might just say you don't have to begin anything new you could actually look backward a little bit and maybe adapt it for your current context because i think you i think what you're saying is totally right heather there's there is a desire to be more engaged a part of and i think in my i don't know some it's a small soapbox but it's one i'll jump on but like the the, the liturgical traditions can help that um not just having a voice in the setting, but actually informing and shaping by the language we provide, like in, in the worship service. That's really helpful. So anyway, sorry, small <laughs> soapbox there, Heather. Um, you, can I follow up on something you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast? Sure. It was really interesting. Um, you were talking about your mission statement and how a mentor yeah. helped you um, identify the gaps that only you could step in. And then you said you want to help people avoid uh, what you went through. Like, what did you mean by that? And what do you want to try to help people avoid? Yeah, I didn't, I never had outside. I had a really good parent. So this is, this, it, it totally turned out fine. I never had an adult mentor mm -hmm. see me and say, I see something in you. I never mm -hmm. had that. Um, and so I'm really passionate about making sure that when I see something in a student, I pull them aside and I have that conversation with them. I think it makes all the difference. I, we, mm -hmm. we have handed this, I mean, we, we'll spend, we could go through all the data about what's happening in this generation, super depressed, right? Low self-esteem, all these things, all of which are really no fault of their own. We've kind of created this world and then just handed it to them. Mm -hmm. And one thing I will say I hear from my students all the time is, that they feel that there's very little mentorship, even from their own parents, right? And some of this, like, you know, capitalism, all the stuff, I'm working X amount of hours. And on top of that, most people have a side hustle now, the side ministry that I'm doing. And so there's just little time to pay attention to the people who are behind you because you're so busy grinding just to survive your own life. Mm. And my, I am really grateful um, for the job that I have, that it's really caused me to slow down and say, there's n there's nothing more important to me than serving the students that are sitting in my classroom. Mm -hmm. And if a student, and I'll have days, I'm sure everybody does, but I'll have days where 
you know, I got to get a podcast episode done. I have all these things that I'm, I've checked off. I'm like, I'm going to come in my office. I'm going to do this. And then in walks the student with tears in their eyes. And I'm like, mm. my first thought is no, yeah. like, no, I came here to get work done. <laughs> but you know what? Mm. I'm going to close my computer and I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to look at you as if it's, this is the most important thing I'm ever going to do in my entire life. And I think they really need that. I think so much of our discipleship is really just things that need to be modeled for them and people who have stopped yeah. for you and yeah. notice yeah. what you're going through. You know, I think that, I don't know. I felt like my parents were really present for me. I'm not sure because of social media, right? Like we're always engaged in something. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. a, a, a critique I hear from them a lot is just that even my own parents don't know what's going yeah. on in my life if they pause from their phone to ask or to look, but it's, it's surface level conversations. And so I just, my invitation to all adults is to really think who are three even young people that I can say, okay, I can't save the entire world, but I can really focus on these three people outside of my own children. I can focus on these three kids and trying to make a difference in their lives. That's really great, Heather. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's so beautiful. And just the authenticity and your, your care in that regard that, you know, thinking about what digital can do and what it can't do and mm. those places of, that was a okay, great way digital, to that, Carolyn. Oh, thanks. Um, you know, digital has the ability for me to broadcast out to everyone to know here was an important milestone in my life but it doesn't have the ability for that, like the in-person does, to really have that real-time empathy feedback loop that's there. Um, and so, well, this, I, I also just in taking, I mean, that care for that, that generation, like you said, that they've grown up with this as part of their development. What are aspects you're seeing that um, both we should celebrate, that they they offer something unique for us in the church. And, uh, you know, as we think about, you know, even handing the baton off to the next generation with um, church leadership. But then, so also what, what should be celebrated? And then what are the, the kind of vices or ways to be discipling them? Um, so what would you say to those two? Yeah. Um, I, I remember being in a faculty meeting one day and just hearing, you know, people, they were talking about a particular two students and how rude they were, um, for talking back about whatever the situation was. And I remember even in that moment thinking, this is really true. Like this generate, we could say it's entitlement, right? Or um, there's this deep sense of, of self-importance. And I, on the other hand, I say, this could be really, really incredible mm. to have a generation. If you, if you can connect them to the Holy Spirit, to have a generation that believes that their voice matters could be a really, really powerful tool for the church. I also think when I read like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's this part in yeah. scripture where it says that they say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, which I always, but I like highlighted that in my Bible. I'm like, that's like saying, oh, Joe to Joe Biden, right? That's like literally just using the first name. We're not going to say king. We're not going to say your title. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. The type of generation 
with the boldness and the audacity to say, I'm not going to back down. I believe this in my bones and I don't care what you do to me. I don't care who's watching. I'm going to stand for this. That honestly gets me really excited. Because I feel like if we can yeah. mentor them and disciple them mm-hmm. and connect yeah. them to the power of the Holy Spirit, my goodness, we could have a generation, mm-hmm. right? Like the Protestant Reformation that like just <laughs> sets the world on fire. Yeah. That yes. excites me about them. Yes. Yeah, I like the way that you frame that as that. not something to be demeaned or dismissed, but harnessed, shaped, directed. Um, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, and and just to kind of keep building on that too, um, you know, coming through the lens of, okay, for older generations, what are things that they, that would be helpful for them to know in terms of how even younger Christians perceive online versus in-person relationships? Oh, that's a good question. I think um, something to be aware of is that there's not much of a difference for them until somebody points it out, right? Like <laughs> if you, if I was to yeah. ask my students, how many friends do you have? They, I, I can guarantee most of them like, oh, I got a lot. I have a lot of friends. I have like a hundred friends, right? Like I have like 200 friends on Instagram, right? But then I always say, and if you were to shut off your phone, if you were to just turn your phone off for three days, who's showing up? Yeah. Who's actually going to come and knock on the door and say, what's going on? Where have you been? I haven't seen you. And then it gets quiet, right? So how do we talk to them about all the wonderful, and I am, I love social media. I teach social media. I am not somebody that thinks, I don't think it's going anywhere. So I think it's a waste of energy to just always talk about the bad things because there's so many awesome things that I think the church could be using it for. Um, But also we need to make sure that people have relationships right? Like people need real in-person and I'm biased. I teach communication. So I, I love face-to-face relationship. I think it's, they say it's about three to one. So for every three, uh, like conversations you would have with somebody online is the equivalent of one face-to-face meeting. So they say over time, those differences actually shrink. If you keep meeting with somebody online, you can actually shrink the difference between face-to-face and online. But there's just, mm. we're, we're created to be social creatures. We, we actually get, have physiological responses to looking each other in the eyes. Mm-hmm. That does something to me physiologically, yeah. right? A hug, I release oxytocin. Oxytocin is the same hormone that's released when a mother nurses her infant. It's what tells your brain, you love this baby, connect to this baby, this baby matters to you. We release oxytocin when we hug one another, right? When we sit face to face, when yeah. we release oxytocin, when we tell each other stories, I in the church, we would call them testimonies. You have a physiological response of connection by listening to somebody tell you their testimony. My goodness, are you kidding me? We need that. Mm -hmm. And I would also say to this generation when they tell me, I don't need to go to church because I can listen to the greatest speaker in my underpants. I would say God himself does not exist outside of community. You are a fool if you think you can handle this thing on your own. Get out of here. We are supposed to be in community with one another. We're wired for it. Both evolutionary biology and Christianity will tell you that. It's about finding the right people to have community with. I just love Heather's passion, how she doesn't hold back, and how in an otherwise cynical culture, she has so much excitement about the future of Gen Z. 
We'll be back with more Heather Thompson Day in part two, where we'll talk about how to build trust and empathy with a generation that's been profoundly shaped by technology and immediacy. We'll also hear from Heather about what she hears from younger generations as far as what they want from the church and what they need from the church. Make sure you've subscribed to Equip and Engage on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss part two. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time.